Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. The Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I had a plumbing problem at my house yeah, this weekend. I heard. Uh, the tub wouldn't turn off, so I was pulling it uh, and it turned on just fine, though it was a little tough to turn on. I was like, that's weird. That's hard. And then I tried to turn it off. It was very hard. And then it then it was very easy. Uh, and after it got easy, the nothing happened and the water just stayed on. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did several things. One, I uh, tried to fix it myself, which turned it into a worse situation. 100% of so, the time. So I, and, and when I say I tried to fix it myself, I mean, I called my friend and I tried to have him fix it because he knows more about this than I do. And he, and so what the goal was that he would take it off and turn off a valve that was inside the wall so that we could turn on the rest of the house's water mm. without having the tub always on. <laughs> he took all of it out and it turns out there isn't a valve inside of the wall and the, the <laughs> valve that we do have is broken. That's the part that's broken. And then, uh, and so then I was like, okay, well, that's not a big deal. We can still turn on the, uh, the, the house water when we need to. Water's just gonna like shoot out of the wall in the tub. <laughs> Except that's not true because, because uh, it will also shoot a little bit into the wall, which then goes down in between the wall and into the basement. Yeah, uh, so I found that out. That's not great. You can't just have it shooting out when there's a hole in the wall. Yeah. So, uh, so then, well, during this whole time, we were calling a lot of plumbers. It was the weekend, so that they weren't available. We're trying to schedule a time. We find a plumber that can schedule a time. Uh, and so then once we scheduled the time with the plumber, I have to go out and I have to buy a lot of wooden shoes so that I can leave them around uh, so that when the plumber is done, while he's working in the tub, I can move the the wooden shoes all around. And when he's done, he's like, what's going on with all these wooden shoes? And I said, well, I was just hoping you could help me with these clogs too. <laughs> That was a long and tortured road. <laughs> All of it was true, except for the part with the wooden shoes. Yeah, but yeah. My, t- my tub is fixed. I'm so glad that it's fixed. I've I have had many similar issues over the years. Uh, 
my friend Alex uh, described it to me once very succinctly. He said once, when it comes to installing a thermostat, John, you have a pretty stark choice. You can either call someone to install the thermostat or you can call two people, one to install the thermostat after you've failed and the other to fix the drywall that you messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you just have to look you have to look straight into the face of you should be able to do this, but you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, Henry and I have been boxing for the last several weeks. Oh, it's been really good. We're loving it. Uh and okay. Henry has very good footwork and is able to do all of the major boxing moves and God bless our trainer, she'll just look at me sometimes and she'll be like, "Okay, uh no. <laughs> no, no, no." No, left foot forward, and then I move my right foot forward, and she's like, nope, uh, left, 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 left foot forward, and then I move my left foot forward, and she's like, yeah, and then she's like, right foot drags, and I'm like, and then she's like, nope, no, 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 that's your right hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, there's things you're not good at, yeah. and that's fine. And I and I watched. I asked. I said, "Can I watch? See what you how, how this works?" And he said, "Yes." And I watched, and I was like, "Okay, I could see. I could see a bunch of ways I would have messed that up." Uh, and and so I appreciate you having done that, and also the tools that you have that I don't have. And yes, I was happy. I was mostly happy that there was someone available today because I need a shower. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you're going to have one. Let's answer some questions from our listeners, Hank. Okay, John. Um, I have to sneeze. Okay. I have to sneeze. I have to sneeze. Oh, God. Oh, okay. no. Oh, God. Uh, it passed. Well, that's great. Great news, John. <sighs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Sneezing is, of course, not not normal. John. And so I was really worried. <laughs> this first question is a little bit related. It comes from Hillary, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I sometimes find myself desperately needing to toot, mm. but in an unfortunate place to let that happen, such as in a room with little ventilation or in front of my boss. In these cases, I often work very hard to hold it in. And often, by the time I am in a place to be able to let it go, I no longer need to. Where has the toot gone? Hillary. I've often wondered this, I have to say. I, I mean, I've always sort of assumed that uh -huh. it either gets, uh, comes out as a burp later or oh, gosh. it comes out as a toot later or it gets reabsorbed. I don't know. Like I, But I have noticed this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so, so it doesn't come out as a burp. I can tell you that much. Um, I, it did feel like it was a little too low to make it all the way back up there. It is very rare for that stuff to make it back up. And if it, if, if, and when it does, it is a serious problem. Okay, great. And you don't need to know any more about that unless, unless you do. All you need to know is go to the doctor. Yeah. The, but I think, so like, I think that our body, like the, the rectum is basically like a, like a, a, just a storage unit. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that if it's, if like something's pushing up against the edge of the rectum that you've experienced that as the urge mm -hmm. to fart or poop. And then if you're like, I can't eventually that it won't be pushing on it anymore because something else further up won't be contracting and pushing it down. Mm. So there's like the whole digestive system is just a bunch of, just imagine it like the way that like a person milks an udder of a cow it's just that happening to a tube that is like 70 feet long mm. uh, from the from the moment it hits the back of your throat to the moment it comes out of your butthole. Uh, and and what is happening, I think, is the squeezing has ceased and that's allowing the fart to move back up. And so you're like, well, I guess I'll never fart again. But then eventually I think the fart will come out. So I don't think your body can reabsorb gas. Uh, okay. 
though some animals do have ways of re- reabsorbing gas. I don't do not think that the intestines can do it at all. I, de- I definitely know that they don't do it en masse. They might do it a tiny bit. Well, well, actually, I do know that they do it a tiny bit because recently there was a study done, I think, on mice to prove that if a mouse wasn't breathing, you could inject oxygen into its colon and that would increase its chances of surviving the period of time without oxygen. So you can absorb some gas through your colon. I'm I'm really glad to know all of this. (laughs) It's really deeply enriched my relationship with my body. So thank you. (laughs) I think the two comes out. Okay. I Where has the toot gone? I don't like to think about the fact that my body is essentially like a bunch of flesh surrounding a tube. Yeah, no, it's not great. It's, very, it's an unpleasant thought for me. Yeah, sometimes I'll be looking under my microscope at a worm and I'll be like, oh, so like you too, huh? <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm just you with more flesh on the outside. Yeah, yeah just, just a tube with a tube in it. Oh, thanks for coming to our podcast, everybody. This next question comes from Laura, who writes, Dear Brothers Green, why do some books tell you the font that was used in the text at the end of the book? Is this to help other publishers or to give credit to the font, or is it just a fun fact for people who haven't quite figured out what the word fun means? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. So in the Anthropocene Reviewed book, I review the font. It's a little bit of a secret review. It's on the copyright page, you know, where like all that tiny little text is anyway. Mm -hmm. So I inserted Mm -hmm. a review of the font alongside all that other tiny legalese. And I did that because I've never had an about the font page. And I've always thought they're a little bit ludicrous, but also that I've always been a little bit jealous, you know, like about the font pages are usually in, I guess what I would term fancy books. And they are entirely about mm. fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> or, I, I mean, I guess not entirely. There are some percentage of people who will read a book and pay attention to the font and be like, gosh, I really wish I knew what that font was. And then they will be able to find out and that will be exciting for them. Right. Uh, and then the other thing is, like, fonts are very weird. Like, I think sometimes we forget how how weird they are. That, yeah. like, 500 years ago, a bunch of people had to make a collective decision about what words looked like in a world after handwriting. Yeah, wow. And we are still using those fonts. Like the font that the Anthropocene Reviewed book is laid out in is a font from a Venetian printer from 500 years ago. Wow. And in all likelihood, the font that An Absolutely Remarkable Thing and A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor use is a font that at least has its roots a long time ago. Right. And so it's a weird thing. And I think for people who love books and who love printed books, especially some people are really interested in it and into it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a nice little bonus, but I didn't want it to have its own page. I thought that was a little much. I wanted it to just be like, hey, if you happen to be reading the copyright page, which almost everyone isn't going to do, look, I I made a treat for you. So do you have to tell people what the font is? In a book? I don't know if you have to, but almost every time, even if there isn't a fancy about the font page, if you look on the copyright page, it'll be like this book is set in and designed by. Right. And I think that like, you know, the people who are putting together the book and including the copyright page, like those people think, this is what I didn't realize. 
Most people think about books a lot. Yeah. And there are a lot of different things about books. Yeah. And like, and people will often be like, what's up with Deckled Edge? I, I will say, what's up with the Deckled Edge? Yeah. That's, that seems, that seems like a, like it, it sometimes th- things that are more expensive are worse kind of situation. Um, <laughs> and also kind of the same with the dust jacket. I'm like, okay, what exactly is this? And then I realized that a dust jacket is like, is the packaging, you know, it's just like, it's a way, it's a place to put information about the book. Like it's not really serving a function during reading. Like sometimes you'll use it as a bookmark, yeah. but like, it's not good at that job. The, the I think it's thing, pretty, I think it's pretty good at being a bookmark. It can be. It depends on how big the book is. It's true. Like how wide the book is. Yeah. But the, the, you know, like, but, it, but it's primary. But people are, people are thinking a ton about it. And I didn't realize that beforehand. And then I tried to lay out a page myself of a thing that I wrote where I was like, okay, it can't be that hard. It's very hard. It's that hard. It's so hard. Yeah. It looks so it's bad. So, I have no, so I, I, I had no idea how to make it look good. I, every yeah. tweak I made, I was like, it still looks like garbage. Yeah. It's really hard to make a, a book page look good. And it is also really hard to find the right font for a book because the font, in my opinion anyway, has a subtle but fairly pervasive effect on the way we read. Yeah. And you have no idea though. Yeah, but it but it does matter. It like it kind of sets the tone for the book in in some ways. Um and 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 I think it's I think it's interesting and in some ways cool that e-readers now like you can choose the font, you know? So like the book is set in Bembo, but maybe you like to read in Arial or in Garamond or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's that's a whole new world, but for the people who are you know, reading a reading a print book part. Look, the whole process is anachronistic, right? Like, there's no part of a print yeah. book that is essential to 21st century methods of communication. And so, mm-hmm. and so, you have to decide to what extent do I want to lean into these anachronisms, and to what extent do I want to lean away from them. But mm-hmm. you don't have a choice about whether you use any of them because, like, they're all you know, the, the idea of a printed book is is itself a weirdness in the 21st century. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But I love them. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think there are a lot of anachronisms that I also love. Like, I would argue that football played by humans is a bit of an anachronism, right? Like, we have really high quality graphics engines now, and we could just um, <laughs> have the Euros by playing playing them on FIFA, but we choose not to. <laughs> and I, and I, like, I like that choice. I like that world. That seems like a better world. So anyway, yeah. check out the Anthropocene Reviewed book. Uh, six weeks now, Hank, on the New York Times bestseller list, and also uh, America's favorite new book ri- printed in Bembo. Good old Bembo. Can't beat it. They, 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 they also didn't slack on naming that one. It's, it's named after the guy who first cut it, whose name was Bembo. Was his name Bembo something or something Bembo? I think it was something Bembo. It's better if it was just Bembo. Well, Hank, I'll tell you, you can read the whole history of the font in the Anthropocene Reviewed book on the copyright page. Uh, weirdly enough, I don't have a copy because I just gave it away. Oh, well, I can. So I, I can't. Yeah. Hey, you, you know what? They're uh, they're available at fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> I was going to be like, I'll send you one. But no, I won't. I won't send you one. You can Absolutely go pick not. one up yourself. That's right. That's right.
I'm not, I don't live far from a bookstore. I can make that happen. This next question comes from Isla, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I love writing, and I'm working on a book. I find it really hard to find the time and creativity to work on my book sometimes, and it's taking a long time to write. My dad loves reading what I write, which is good, but he keeps saying that he wants me to finish up what I'm writing so that he can read it. My question is, how do I respond when someone who doesn't know how hard writing a book is keeps pestering me about finishing it? Thanks, Isla. Is it pestering or is it encouragement? It's a little of both. Yeah, I mean, it's that it's that fatherly pestering encouragement. Right. I think you could maybe say to your dad, I think you're trying to encourage me, but you've crossed the Rubicon into, uh, into pestering. <laughs> yeah. But I also think mm-hmm. that probably your dad is trying to encourage you and like wants you to finish the story, both because he's enjoying reading it and because he, you know, he wants that for you. Like he wants you to have the the, you know, the feeling of finishing writing a novel. So I would, I, it's, it is hard. It is hard to find the time. It is hard to find the like energy and the headspace as well as the time. Mm -hmm. And for sure, certainly somebody who publishes one book every five to six years is probably not in a position to give you (laughs) advice on like how to write quickly. So I'll just turn it over to my brother. Uh, I mean, I I wasn't that snappy either. I feel like Um, you wrote like 250,000 really good words in a three year period. Well, it was longer than that. That's how that's how you feel. That's how you make it look, John. Right. Well, because, of course, like it it always feels shorter and easier to uh, the dad reading than it does to the child writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is my point. I would, I, so I remember when I worked on the, so I'd been working for six months on a beautifully foolish endeavor, the, the sequel to my first book. And Catherine was like the biggest supporter of me getting that book done. Cause she was really excited and like, uh, you know, on the edge of her seat, like a, a lot of other people to sort of hear what the, how the story went next. And so I'd been working on it for, for six months and I gave it to Catherine. I was like, okay, this is ready to read. And then she, and then three hours later, she texts and she was like, I like this a lot. And, and then she has like some thoughts and I'm like, three <laughs> hours. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> like it says, this has everything, everything I could do and make and be and feel for a hundred and eighty days of my consciousness. Yeah. And you're like, and, and your Goodreads review is pretty good. Real page Turner read it in two hours thirty minutes. Uh, and that, and that's like, that's not a, that's not a problem. That's how it is. No, no, no. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And in fact, like, I, Isla, I would say it's a really good sign if your dad feels like your writing is effortless, because like, the, the for me, the most magical reading experiences are when the story feels. Uh, effortless, but is so clearly, you know, complicated and nuanced and and big and everything I want a story to be. Mm-hmm. And so I I I'd take that as mostly a compliment, which is what I try to remind myself when people read, you know, like Looking for Alaska or whatever, or or the Anthropocene Reviewed, and they're like, oh, I was pretty good. I read it in a, you know, read it in an afternoon. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. It's actually been real. I have to say, it's been really nice hearing from, I don't want to prescribe how people read, but it has been lovely to hear from people who are reading like one chapter a night, you know, mm-hmm. to like give yeah. them time to, and space between each essay to kind of like meditate on it. That 
is really cool to hear. But also, if people rush through it, that's great, too. I have a weird thing to tell you, John. Great. So I was listening to the Anthropocene-reviewed audiobook. Yeah. Just uh, laying in my bed, my brother talking in my ears, which is a little weird. It is weird. To begin with. And then uh, I woke up the next morning, and I had listened to the whole book. While I slept. Oh. And I just felt I just felt like psychologically really weird about that. Oh, that is really weird. Like I like I was continuing <laughs> to narrate your yeah. life as you slept. Uh-huh. Which doesn't you which never happens to me. I always, you know, like I'll be listening and then it'll be like chapter five. And I'm like, ah, oh, I need to turn my headphones off. It, like mm. it's it's never happened to me. But in my just, case, it was so boring <laughs> that you just fell right asleep. <laughs> Oh God! It was, yeah, and like I never had a thought that it was a problem. Um, and I was never like I. I feel like I kept waking up in the middle of the night, and I was just like, "Oh, the Anthropocene book. <laughs> this still makes sense. It's still happening. <laughs> like, like you just tack one chapter on the end of another one, and it's like, wow. Yeah. Turns out that's really weird. Wow. I mean, okay. So there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. But, I but think, I'm dreaming, but, you know. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I think I think my favorite thing about it is that you woke up and you were like, ah, well, I finished it. Uh, so what's even worse than having somebody be like, oh, I I took six years of your life I, and I read it in an afternoon. What's worse than that is somebody being like, oh, I took six years of your life and I read it mostly while asleep. <laughs> That's not what I mean. <laughs> like somebody like uh, cramming for a chemistry test, yeah, like yeah, sleeping yeah. with the book underneath their pillow. <laughs> Trying to subliminally learn how to... <laughs> yeah. And I know Spanish now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's amazing. Uh, I don't know if we answered your question, but I think the answer is to say to your dad, look, this is a lot of work, but also I appreciate you encouraging me and continuing to push me. And like, maybe you can give yourself some little miniature deadlines. Like I like to do that where I say, try to give myself really realistic deadlines. Like I will write six pages this month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's doable. Right. Like I can find time to write 10 pages this month. Yeah. Mine was always a thousand words a week or else. Oh, my God. I can't do that. But um, maybe I should start it, trying. Because if I wasn't writing a thousand words a week, the book was out of my head and I wasn't thinking about it anymore. Yeah. It was just like something yeah. to get something down. Right. Know? Yeah. I'm going to write a couple more episodes of the Anthropocene Reviewed podcast. And then, Hank, I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> Oh, I know what I'm I know what I'm doing for like six more weeks. And then I don't know. I don't know if I will write ever again. I don't know. Maybe I'd like to, I like writing. Mm-hmm. I don't have another way of making money. <laughs> so, I mean, but I don't know. Maybe I'll get a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your new job hosting crash courses. Now that pay is terrible. <laughs> Zero dollars. <laughs> You can start charging us. Oh, if you need no, it, just no, let me know no, if you need no, it. No, 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 we'll no, give you the normal no, host no, rate. no, no. I, I, the only benefit of me as a host is that I'm free. If I'm not free, <laughs> there's no other benefits. Get somebody to else me. to do it. <laughs> This next question comes from Molly, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently found out that some planets like Saturn and Jupiter have had temporary moons in the past. Oh, God, Molly, have I got some bad news for you. In addition to the many, many regular (laughs) moons that surround them, 
I find this premise deeply disturbing. Could Earth get a temporary additional moon at some point? Or could it have had a temporary additional moon in the past? Please advise, good golly, Molly. Oh, boy. Well, can I just state what I think to be the most- They're all temporary moons. Exactly. (laughs) Every moon is is a temporary moon. (laughs) It's all all going back into the sun, Molly. There's a few different uh, potential fates for moons. Um, they can be ejected from the orbit around the planet and that will, uh, usually result in them, uh, either crashing into the planet, crashing into another planet or being ejected from the solar system entirely. Mm. They can crash into each other and then become, uh, become a ring for a while and then turn into another moon. Mm. That happens sometimes. Mm. They can, uh, they can eventually be eaten by the sun. So that's an option. Can I start um, giving these star ratings? So I give getting ejected <laughs> from your orbit two stars. I give turning yeah. into a ring that then turns back into a moon four stars. That's mm-hmm. really quite lovely. Yeah. And then I, I, I give, give getting eaten by the sun. That's just a one star phenomenon for me. What What about uh, getting, getting uh, ejected from orbit into the planet you were once orbiting? Yeah, I guess that's like, okay, so... Obviously, it's it's not good, you know. Like I, I, I don't want that to happen to Earth, but it is very, it's a very beautiful idea, you know. That like the yeah the 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 beloveds were distant from each other because of gravity, and now uh, are together again. <laughs> so uh, two and a half stars. Yeah, that's that is uh, if if the moon survives the uh, eventual ex- uh, expansion of the sun into a red giant. If the sun, if the Earth Moon system survives that. I think that that's the eventual end game for the moon is that it will it will hit us. It's coming home. Yeah, it comes home. It's a long time from now. After the sun is no longer there. So yeah. th- that that long. Yeah. We um, we won't be a central figure in that drama. <laughs> no. Uh anybody who's there uh will be and it will be very bad news. <laughs> I mean I I mean <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying humans. I don't know. There's a lot of future. Yeah, in yeah. Which... <laughs> there is. There's a lot of future. There's a lot of future. I don't. Yeah, I. I think every. I think everything currently on Earth is going to have a different set of concerns when the Earth and the Moon reconnect. Oh yeah. But regardless of what their concerns are, the reconnection of the Earth and the Moon will be the primary concern. <laughs> <laughs> on the day that that happens. Yeah, it's like on how on March 12th, there were a lot of different worries. And then on March 13th, there was just kind of one worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, like that. Great. That, that's my favorite thing. I, I, it turns out I do not want to ever live in a world in which uh, every human has the same worry. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the worst. That's bad. Those are bad moments when everybody's got the same worry. In other news... I have great news about that, John. Oh, God, thank you. What is it? All of the near-Earth asteroids that are uh, potential planet uh, problems. So, like, not like city problems or country problems, but planet problems. Uh Uh-huh. We have identified all of them. We know where they all are, and none of them are going to hit us within the next hundred years. Hundred? The only reason we can't say beyond hundred years is because we can't project that far. So every year that continues to go out further. Mm. Um, But, uh, so we're good. Not on a... There's not like a looming dinosaur asteroid head for us. We know where they all are now. For sure. Good job, us. Okay. Yeah. Alice has been asking me about that a lot, and I thought I was just kind of like telling her a fib, 
But it's good to know that I've been telling her the truth. Yeah. Now, is there an is there an asteroid that if it airbursted over Indianapolis, uh, you would be done for? Yes, that one is is there out there somewhere uh, that we haven't identified yet, and we would know about it with like a couple days warning. Let me just tell you, and that would not be enough. <laughs> no, but but let me let me tell you something about living in Indianapolis. Okay, one of the central advantages to living in Indianapolis is being able to be absolutely one hundred percent confident that no asteroid would ever choose Indianapolis as a place to burst over. Okay, <laughs> there's just no chance. Yeah, we are not interesting enough. <laughs> And I know that that's like not how gravity works or whatever, but trust me, okay. trust me, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of the Earth's surface isn't Indianapolis, and we've identified a lot of the a lot of those bigger ones. So your, your odds are really good. Uh, the sentence, the vast majority of the Earth's surface isn't Indianapolis would be a new sentence to our language, except that uh, people from Indianapolis really do think that Indianapolis is the center of the world. (laughs) This is a really important fact to me that I think that very few people internalize, and even I have a hard time internalizing it. The percentage of the Earth's surface that is covered by the United States of America, Alaska included, is 2%. Wow. So, so we've just got like, some, keep that in mind. So we've got room to grow, world. We're coming for you. <laughs> Ocean, was the- we're coming for you. <laughs> Europe, we're on our way. <laughs> well, you better watch out, Ocean. Wait till you experience our healthcare system, Pacific Ocean. You're going to love it. You're going to spend <laughs> twice as much money, but you're going to get half as good results. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Which reminds me, John, that this, this podcast is sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield Pacific Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh so hard something in my jaw broke uh like i've had tmj for the last like 14 weeks because of the anthropocene reviewed book yeah, and all, oh God, all the pressure that. just released all at once oh i'm a new person because of your blue cross blue shield pacific ocean joke yeah um just give us a, give us a call whenever you got a problem we will make sure to have to to make it a even bigger problem. Yeah, today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by Bembo. Bembo, it, America's leading font. <laughs> or at least, is it? No, no. Okay, I didn't think so. I, I don't hear very much about it. Hank, do you not understand one of the fundamental rules of advertisement, which is oh. to claim things that aren't true? Gotcha. Perfect. Everybody loves Bembo, and this podcast is also brought to you by the tube inside you. The tube inside you. It's Is it inside you? Or is it just a tube of outside that runs through the inside? That's what it is, and that's what's so disturbing. We're just big, fleshy worms. Yeah, but like cool ones that make Bembo. Today's podcast also, of course, brought to you. <laughs> As, like... Like I'm sorry, but I, it took me a second to get the joke. You know, like like it hit it hit late. I was because I was I was on a different thing, but like the idea. I mean, okay, this is a great thought experiment. Like, it, you know how like in in like high school debate they make you like defend positions that are uh, abundantly ludicrous, but yeah. like if you have the right like policy sure. papers, you can be like. Oh no! This is a yeah. It's a it's a great idea to have zero percent taxation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to defend the idea that Bembo is the greatest human achievement. 
<laughs> like there's a lot of I, achievement in Bembo, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you, it, if you oh, pile it all up, sure. And dependent on Bembo. Yeah. It's all been it's all been downhill since we made Bembo. <laughs> that was the last. That was the last really great thing we did. Forget going to the moon. It was it was Bembo that was the culmination of the whole affair. And also today's podcast is brought to you by six months of book writing. Six months of book writing. Two hours of reading. <laughs> John, we have a project for awesome message. It's from Tiffany, and it's to anyone who needs to hear this. Tiffany says, I'm sorry if things are hard right now, but I wanted to say that I'm so proud of you, and I hope you never forget how much beauty and value and joy and love that you add to the world. I know it might not seem this way, but this feeling is just for now, my friend. The light-soaked days are coming. I love you. Thank you for being here. That's lovely. Oh, that's so lovely, Tiffany. Thank you for that. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think is fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. 
John, do you have uh, a couple more questions before it's time for the news from AFC Wimbledon and Mars? Hank, I wanted to ask you this question because it's an interesting question, and I have a very different relationship with this smell. Hannah writes, Dear John and Hank, what gives bookstores that comforting smell? That smell makes me so happy, and every bookstore has it, and I cannot figure out how to recreate it. Please help. Um, Since we've been talking about toots and poops and being a tube... Uh, that smell makes me have to go fast. Me too, me too, me too. I, I walk into, I, yeah, this is a known phenomenon. And until like six months ago, I thought I was the only person in the world who had it. Oh gosh. It's like, it's like, uh, I like walking and I'm like, Hey, Hey Garth, can I get the key? (laughs) I like the first thing I do. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked before about how humans don't know almost everything. And one of the things that we don't know is why a lot of humans independently with no way of knowing about this phenomenon from each other yeah. have independently discovered that whenever they walk into a bookstore, they have an urge to poop. Yeah. It is a, it, it, that is flipping weird. It's so weird. Uh, it's, it's very weird. It's physiological. Like, uh, yes. What? It must be something, it, well, it must be something chemical because. I don't know. I think it, it like, it might not be. I don't, I, yeah, I don't it know. It might. Do I sometimes, sometimes I, think, I think it's just like I'm presented with the just a tremendous number of options and that is making my body like I need to be physically lighter right now. <laughs> no, that's exactly what I think though. Sometimes I think like I walk into a bookstore and it's so overwhelming and mm-hmm. uh there's like there's just something about being in the presence of that much information that makes me nervous and then when I'm nervous I have to poop. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, but I don't weird. get it when I go to the library. It's about the concentration of books for me oh, because really? you know libraries are like more kind of like open spaces. Like they have a ton of books in them, but they've also got a lot of like empty space and lots of desks and chairs and stuff and I don't get the feeling there. Maybe it's a little bit less high pressure too because like Maybe. if you get a library book and it doesn't work out, you just bring it back. It's not like you lost 14 bucks or whatever. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and and like there's there's others waiting for you. Yeah. You right. And also just like the, the commitment. Once I've bought a book, I feel like I have to read it. And that's a lot of pressure. I agree. That's true. And in some ways you feel the stress of knowing that you're going to have to read the book and hold one person's like six years of work in your hands. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe that's yeah. it. But I also really don't know what it is. But for me, it is partly the smell. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like it does feel like it, like the smell is is a component because it doesn't like there's lots of stores with lots yeah. of stuff. I, I like I can and, walk in like I'm much more stressed out walking into a Target because the lighting is so horrible and because there are lots of people and there's way more aisles and I don't get the feeling mm-hmm. in Target. Oh, it's like it's like that mix. It's like the mix of like bookstore, uh, like good stress, but also relaxation. Maybe that's what it is. Good stress plus relaxation. That makes sense to me. And the smell. But there is, because there is a, there is a smell thing about bookstore. Like, I think there's also, there's often like a little bit of a, uh, no, no shade, a little bit of moldy smell, like a little bit of like basementy smell in a bookstore. Dinge. I think it's, I think it's just that much paper. Yeah. Paper has a good smell. Yeah. But that much paper also comes with it, like a certain amount of dust, a certain amount of like, yeah gathered. There's a lot of surfaces. Yes. It has increased the surface area of the room. I actually find Mm. that my, and I I realize that what I'm about to say is wildly entitled. So full, full disclosure, 
So, so yes, I am aware that I am about to announce a first world solution to your problem. But I find that if I'm in a room that's stuffed with books, I get almost the exact same smell as a bookstore. So just put a ton of books in your house. There's well, <laughs> start start small and keep collecting. Uh, that's a long term solution. For a short term solution, go to the little free libraries around your city, take all of the books out of them, and uh, enjoy that bookstore <laughs> smell in your house. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, Powell's for the rest of us. Powell's in Portland, Oregon, has released a scent. Oh, and wow. it's called the riveting scent of books with subtle hints of wood and violet. Wow. They come together in Powell's by Powell's. <laughs> Wherever you are, experience <laughs> the comfort and nostalgia of Portland's Wait. most in- iconic bookstore. You won't be able to put it down. <laughs> is this real? It is real. Wait, is, is, it, a, is it a candle? No, it's, or a, is it's it a spritz. Like a, like a cologne. It's a spritz. It's like a room spritz. Oh, my God. That's, I mean... I don't, at, at, I'm having, I'm torn because I don't think it will work, but I am going to buy it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't think it will perfectly recreate bookstore spell, but I also am like desperate to find out if it can. Yeah. Oh, those folks at Pals, they're always doing something cool. That was where I had one of my very first book signings. Like there are, I think there are still a couple copies of the first printing of Looking for Alaska that are signed by me in my like old way of signing where everything was yeah. uh, hard uh, diagonal angles. So yeah, it's a great bookstore. I'm, I'm reading some of the reviews of Powell's by Powell's. Okay. The smell is a musky, slightly sweet scent. It smells like damp old paper, vanilla, and a light scent of violets and vintage cosmetic powder not quite baby powder, definitely brings to mind the old book room at the downtown Powell's. Mm. So Sam liked it. Wow. That reminds me of how hard it is to write about smell. What a weird what a weird <laughs> right? thing it is to try to turn smell into language. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's there's a writer for the New Yorker, Rachel Syme, who writes about smell like so much better than anyone I've ever read before. Hmm. It's just phenomenal. It's a really hard skill. Yeah. Uh, and she's just brilliant at it. That's, I mean, my, my instinct is, why would we even think that this would be a possible thing to do? Well, I think there are certainly limits to what we can accomplish. Yeah. But the, the fascinating thing for me about reading her work about smell is that sometimes when I read a sentence, I can smell the smell. And that is borderline magic to me. Yeah. All right, Hank, it's time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. What's going on in Mars this week? This week in Mars News, we have more audio from Mars thanks to the China National Space Administration, or CNSA. We can now hear the sound of the Zhirong rover rolling down the ramp of its lander onto the surface of Utopia Planitia. That places the rover around 1,000 miles away from Perseverance. Uh, The agency also has released a selfie of the rover with the lander taken by a small wireless camera that the rover placed on the ground and then drove away from. It's a very cute little picture. There's also a little video of it. Roven, the Zhirong rover looks kind of like if you crossed Wally with a, like a flying giraffe. Oh. This doesn't sound particularly cute, but it is. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture and it does look like a cute version of Wally the giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> So you could go and listen to some more sounds of Mars now. I feel like we are, at this point, we're like, I guess, two senses in to our relationship with Mars. Yeah. I'm really waiting to find out how Mars smells. That's going to be an exciting day for me. Yeah. It was a surprise when we got to the moon. 
Yeah. It's not a not the smell you're expecting. Right. So maybe Mars smells like who knows? Who we knows? really don't know. Yeah. It's gonna be exciting. That's gonna be the first thing when the first person lands on Mars. It's gonna be my first question. What's the smell? <laughs> what's, what's and they're gonna be like, I can't that. I can't open my spacesuit. And I'm like, open it. <laughs> Tell me the smell. It get, like clings to the spacesuit, and then they come into the airlock, and then you can smell it. Oh. That's, how, that's how they know. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, they're gonna be like, it smells like Powell's by Powell's. <laughs> I mean, then I might go to Mars. It's, it's Mars by Mars. Although I'd have to poop all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hank, in AFC Wimbledon news, AFC Wimbledon's League One schedule has been announced. Yet another season of trying to survive in the third tier of English football. (laughs) And we've got the layout of what the season is going to look like beginning on August 7th with an away game at Doncaster Rovers. And then the first game at Plow Lane, hopefully, if the creek don't rise, with full fans, including John Green, on August 14th against Bolton Wanderers. Uh, that's a big game. Bolton is a is a big club. They were in the Premier League less than 10 years ago. Uh, it's going to be really exciting. And God, I would like to be there. Yeah. But we shall see. We shall we see. We shall see. Uh, and then uh, other kind of like big, bold name matchups. Uh, the matchup against Milton Keynes at Milton Keynes uh, mm. is in October. And then... AFC Wimbledon will is welcome the right verb Milton Keynes to Plow Lane uh, on on April 15th tax day here in the United States. I definitely would like to be at that game if it's possible. I hope to go to a lot of games this season, though. I want to Hank, I have a lot of miles saved up with Delta and I am ready to use them. Yeah, I bet you do. Oh. I'm gonna. I canceled. I canceled 42 flights. So wow. I really do have a lot of uh, you a lot of canceled 42 I, flights. I did. I didn't have to cancel any flights. Well, remember Sarah had a book coming out right oh, at the beginning of the right. pandemic, and we yeah. were gonna go on tour, and so that was like 12 flights. And then uh-huh. uh, you say I didn't cancel any flights, but I canceled some flights related to you. So I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't like have to call and cancel them. No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, no. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But, but if you look at your Delta account, you might be like, oh, right. Well, that's nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, though I don't, I'm not good at putting in my miles number, John. <laughs> oh my God. I don't even want to talk. I can't, we can't, we can't, we can't talk about that. That's like you, that's like you not having a will. Like it's completely unacceptable and I'm not, I'm not willing to engage with you about it. <laughs> It's a different, definitely a different scale than not having a will. There, it, it is literally the exact same thing. It's the same <laughs> thing. It's just a different scale of problem. Yeah, oh yeah, it's yes, coming from the same yes, place. That's true. Like, um, yes, God, God forbid, if you died, you, you're not having a frequent flyer number would be a smaller problem. Although, of still a very significant problem. <laughs> But a smaller problem. Why? Well, actually, I think I guess you're Do, right. I yeah, guess you're, you you no, can't you're inherit right. my miles. <laughs> like I, maybe, maybe. <laughs> You know, I got. We'll look into it. Yeah, exactly. I'd I'd inquire. (laughs) I love the idea of you not leaving me anything in your will except any frequent flyer miles he can find. Like, (laughs) yeah, and like the half the half punched out card from the coffee shop. That's what you get. 
Right, right. If he can convince Delta to transfer my miles to him, then he can have them. Otherwise, he gets nothing. Yeah. You can tweet one time from my account, at Delta. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. It's a pleasure, as always. Thanks to everybody for writing in with questions to hankandjohn at gmail.com. We love and appreciate your questions and are sorry for all the ones we didn't answer. It's true. There's always so many. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Tabuki Chakravarty. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.